You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. We're going to continue our series uh, called God Redeems in the book of Exodus. So if you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 2, Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 through uh, chapter 3, verse 12, we're going to cover tonight. And um, man, we're really digging deep into the context of this book. Uh, we picked up and in going into Exodus um, and looking about how God redeems his children. He redeems his people and he's using uh, Israel as sort of a case study. That's what we're doing as we study through this book. Uh, we're going to see how God is able to prove himself to be almighty God, deliverer uh, of the nation of Israel. But before this, this great exodus, right, uh, get away from Egypt, uh, the reality is God is showing us he can redeem and work in a family and an individual. And we've been looking at this individual named Moses and his family and seeing how this, this amazing, mighty, almighty God working in a nation can also work in our lives, and he's a personal God. He loves us and cares for us. And so the first few chapters are focused on Moses. That's why you have the, the Life of Moses pamphlet, so you can get all the details. There's a lot of scripture that says, about Moses. We're not going to cover all of it because we're just going through Exodus, but hopefully through that pamphlet, if you want to read the first five books, Moses actually pinned those books uh, of scripture. He was a mighty man of God, a great prophet used by God. And Moses's life was sort of broken into three sections. Uh, he lived to be 120 years old and three 40-year sections. We focused so far on the first 40 years, him being drawn out of the water, what his name means as a baby, weaned by his mother, and then given to Pharaoh's daughter, and what that would sort of look like. Uh, another commentator said this, Moses was, uh, Moses was 40 years in Egypt learning something. He had a really good education in that time. He was in 40 years in the desert learning to be nothing. Another important lesson in education that we all have to learn. And then another 40 years in the wilderness proving God to be everything. And so he was a friend of God. He became a mighty man of God, knew God personally, would be used by God. And so far, we focused on the first sort of section of his life, the first 40 years, okay? We sort of meditated, studied, paused a little bit about that, the implications of his family, Miriam and Aaron and um, Amrad and uh, Joabed, uh, just his whole family and origin and, and how God had his hand on him. And now we're going to go tonight into this next section, this 40 to 80 year period uh, where he goes into the desert before being this great leader used by God. And so what I'm calling tonight's study is Moses' calling. Moses' calling. Uh, God is going to call him into the, the work that he wants him done. And here's the main idea for tonight's message, our Bible study. Uh, because of who God is, he graciously uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. It's because of who God is, we're going to see in this text, that God actually, by his grace, uses people like you and me, imperfect people, to accomplish his perfect will. This is what we're learning from Moses in this case study of grace. We are going to learn that Moses was not perfect. He actually failed pretty bad. And like when we read it, you're going to see it's pretty bad. But yet we see in the same passage, in the same study, that it's, there's a God that still redeems him and calls him and gives him a purpose and forgives. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. 
Because if I fail, if I blow it, if I mess up, I know that there's a God that redeems, that forgives, and still has a calling and a plan and a purpose. And even my imperfections will not thwart his purposes to bring him glory. And he invites me to come alongside of him to bring him glory. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he sort of puts it this different way. Remember, Paul was a, a murderer of the church, Saul, and he would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in the beginning of his letter to people, Christ followers, the church, verse 26 through 29, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is, uh, is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring nothing things uh, that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. But man, we could sure boast in God tonight, can't we? That he called us, that he redeemed us, that he gives us grace, and he loves us even despite our failures. And so let's start the study as we look at Moses' failure, how his pride caused him to bear horrible fruit. Remember I was talking about Hezekiah? Remember that Hezekiah's pride? We see it in all great leaders. We see it in human beings. It's a self-dependency that even Moses found himself in. And he had to learn this lesson to depend on God. And so we pick up our study in verse 11. Let's read verses 11 through 15. Uh, 11 through 15, and we're just taking sections at a time. And this text says this. One day when Moses had grown up, remember, it's 40 years, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens because the people were slaves, they were uh, suffering, and he saw in Egypt beating a Hebrew, one of his people, he says. He looked this way and that way, and seeing uh, no one, he struck him down. He struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out, the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why did you strike your companion? Well, that man answered him, well, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by the well. Well, as we pick up in verse 11, we see Moses, this miracle, beautiful baby, is now grown. Uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 23, tells us that at this time he was 40 years old. And although he grew up in a palace, Pharaoh's daughter, uh, she, being raised as a prince, he identifies himself as a Hebrew man a Hebrew person, one of his people, it says. Remember, he's writing this. One of his people, my people, were fighting. Hebrews 11, chapter 24 through 26, tells us that Moses, by faith, chose to identify as a Hebrew, as an Israelite, as God's people, uh, and learned uh, these promises from his mother, uh, Jochebed. And so she weaned the child, taught him about her faith, which then impacted his life. Stephen gives us a lot more insight into Moses's life when he's about to get martyred, preaching the good news of Jesus to the people that are hurting him, uh, that are about to stone him to death. In Acts chapter 7, verse 25, um, he helps us understand that Moses had this dream of delivering his people, this ambition. It wasn't just like I identify. He thought in his mind he would be a deliverer, 
a, a mighty warrior, uh, that, that God he had a plan and a purpose for his life. It says he, speaking of Moses, supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. By whose hand? By Moses. He thought he was the man. He thought he was the deliverer that God was using. He had this dream. But the text says they did not understand. They did not understand. The New King James version of this text says that God would deliver them by his hand. He, he thought God would deliver them by his hand. But, but Moses did something that wasn't God-ordained, that wasn't the heart of God. He killed someone. Moses thought he could do something about it, about freeing his people, but he did it in his way and in his timing. Uh, he felt this call, this important mission, but in his pride, it caused him to do this in his own strength, in his own way, which was a huge mistake. Now, how do we know this? Well, killing is never a good idea. He killed an Egyptian. And we know that this isn't something where it's like, well, he just killed an Egyptian, it was a war. No, it says he looked this way and he looked that way. He knew, his conscience testified, he was doing something in his own flesh didn't see him pray. He didn't seek, seek God. He wanted to be a deliverer. He wanted to take care of the situation. And he did. And he did. Someone died. And so he hit him in the sand. But yet, like every other sin that you and I commit, a rebellion against God, your sin finds you out. For Moses, it was the very next day. Did you notice that? It was like, dang, that's a bummer. I can't even get away for that long. Very next day, he sees two Hebrews now fighting, and, and he says, hey, why are you striking your companion? Why are you striking? He's trying to mediate. He's trying to now be a deliverer and now bring restoration, not just taking people and freeing people, killing someone, but now he's trying to bring life and, and restore and build relationships. This great he, uh, deliverer. But the Hebrew says to him something interesting. He says, what are you going to do about it? Kill me like you did the Egyptians? Like you did that Egyptian man, Moses was caught in a moment. Can you imagine like your heart just sinks? Like you know you're guilty and then boom, you're guilty. You're found out. So much so that Pharaoh, who probably didn't want Moses to be the next Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh is a title. So they're always about building their name, their, their kingdom. And if, and if Pharaoh's daughter had a son, he would be the next heir in throne. And so he's probably has some beef with Moses. And now after this mistake, he could really go after him. Oh, you're identifying with the Hebrews? Now in all my strength, all my power, Pharaoh went after him to try to kill him. And this scene really should teach us as we begin this sort of study in Moses' life, this important principle, especially when it comes to the mission of God and serving God. Spiritual ends are never achieved by carnal means. Spiritual ends, the end game, the goal, are never achieved and never profitable, never good for us by carnal means. Chuck Swindoll said, you can not sow a fleshly seed and reap a spiritual plant. You can't sow a fleshly seed and reap a spiritual plant. Moses was trying to redeem God's people in his own way. And we're going to find out that calling was on Moses' life. But the timing wasn't right, and the way he did it was not right. His own strength, his own way, his own timing. I don't know about you, but I could surely relate to this. Having a call on my life, but doing it not in the appropriate way. Trying to uh, do something good, even godly, but in my own strength, in my own efforts. Not wanting to pray, not wanting to wait for God, 
not wanting to wait for her, his perfect timing, but to get it done just a little bit quicker, to not have patience. The Bible says every time we do this, meaning being relying on ourselves, doing it in our own wisdom, it's actually of the flesh and it's not good for us because it's, a, it's an aspect of pride, thinking we can do things on our own. The goal was good, but how he got there was not. Galatians chapter six, verse eight, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows of the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Again, another commentator about this section said, Moses knew God's will, but the problem was he did not bother to seek God's way and God's timing. Instead, Moses began to carry out that plan according to Moses' way and Moses' schedule. As he did, sadly, many things came unraveled for him. And I was just thinking about this, though. How many times do things in our lives come unraveled when we walk in the flesh or in our own pride? Because we want to achieve something that is even spiritual or good, but we do it in the wrong way. Thinking we're Savior, not relying on God and how he wants to accomplish his will. I think for us as Christians, this is why prayer is so important. Aligning our hearts up with the Lord's hearts and saying, okay, what is your will for this? Depending on God. You know, Paul reminded the church in Ephesus this important principle and it reminds you and me. Ephesians 6, 12, and 13. We need to understand this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The ways of the world and how they accomplish things is not the way that God wants to accomplish things. But we wrestle against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Meaning we wage warfare and we have different tools and weapons to do the things God has called us to do. We can't just go in our own thought patterns, our own ways. So we have to take up, Paul says, the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. See, it's not just what you do, it's how you do it. We know this because the Bible says that you can do tons of things, but if you have not love, it's worthless. It's meaning you can have faith to move a mountain, but if you do it in an inappropriate way, a carnal way, a way that is in pride against God, the ends never justify the means. The ends never, they don't justify the means. We're to do things in love and to be one that does it in God's way. And we have to honor God in the things of the spirit according to his way. So we have to pray. We have to seek God. We have to say, what is your timing on this? What is, how do you want to do this? What does that look like? Because spiritual ends are never achieved by carnal means. So much so, Moses, uh, we see the fruit of his flesh. This desert, this wilderness, Median. The text says that he fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Median. One commentator says, Josephus tells us that the Midianites lived around the Gulf of Aquaba. I don't even know how to pronounce that. But it's literally by Saudi Arabia, uh, which is at the sort of northern end of the Red Sea. It's about 120 miles southwest of the Dead Sea in the middle of the wilderness. Now, scholars don't really know how far this was from Egypt. The closest, it would be at least six to 700 miles. 
it's actually probably more because if you know where he was sort of found, or at least his family was over here, uh, you see in the back of the map, he goes all the way down here to the middle of nowhere. That was his fruit for trying to work out things of the flesh. And the Midianites were a nomadic tribe that lived in the desert. It was a harsh life. And it was in this desert land and in this season of Moses' life that God prepared him and taught Moses humility. Because, see, God could have just wiped him out and killed him for, I mean, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You, you kill, you deserve death. But God, in his mercy, said, no, I'm going to love you, son, and I discipline those that I love. And so in this next season, in this 40 years in the desert, God's actually going to teach him an important principle of humility and to rely on the things of the spirit, not of the flesh, so he can actually be used by God. Remember, God redeems. God redeems and he restores. And Moses had to be brought to the desert by the Lord to break his pride, to live in obscurity, right? He was a somebody and now he's going to be a nobody and to learn humility and reliance on God. It's like Psalm 119, verse 71. It says, it is good for me that I was afflicted. Why? That I might learn your statues. Sometimes it's okay to reap what you sow, to learn from your mistakes, to fail forward. It takes us sometimes to learn the hard way and God still wants to use us in those times. It's all right. There's no condemnation in Jesus. You have to go through the pain sometimes to really learn and you stumble and you make mistakes, but God still loved Moses and he still loves us when we blow it, when we mess up. And now we're going to see now how God is going to use this broken season of his life to mold Moses. Let's look at verse 16 through 22 because we find him at the well in Midian and now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, seven daughters, and they came up and drew water from this well and filled the trots to water of their father's flock. The shepherds came, though, and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they had come home to their father, Raul, or that's probably more Spanish, I just, Raul, Raul, uh, he said, uh, how is it? that you have come home so soon. He knew that his daughters would struggle because this was probably a burden that something happened all the time. Uh, and so um, he said, how did you come home uh, so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. Moses now is serving and putting in work for them. He said to his daughters, well, where is this guy? You, you, someone's going to treat you kind. You didn't do anything about it. Why have you left that man? He's a good man. Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and he called his, uh, his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Moses now settles in this foreign land, Midian. And he runs into... Uh, runs into this father-in-law in this whole situation. The next thing I want you to see in this text is your failures don't need to define you. Your failures don't need to define you. It's, it's pretty clear. Moses blew it. He killed someone. I mean, he royally blew it. But it didn't define Moses, and God still wanted to love and minister to Moses. Now, don't get me wrong. The consequences were real. 
Sin and your mistake is real. That's why you're blessed and cursed, depending on how you uh, interact with the law of God. God wants the best for you. You are blessed when you obey him. But remember, God is a redeemer. He still loves us even when we mess up. And he still, it's never too late to turn to him for help. And God wants us to keep going in humility, learning from our mistakes. He wants us to, to learn in the desert seasons of our lives, the disciplines, the afflictions, and use our mistakes to refine us. Again, Chuck Swindoll in this section, he said that God never puts us through the blast furnace in the desert to ruin us. He does it to refine us. This is actually a sign of God's mercy that Moses is still alive, that Pharaoh didn't kill him, that he got away, that he even traveled 700 miles. I'm wondering, what did he eat? What did he drink beforehand? How did he get to this well? Remember, God's hand was on Moses. He loves Moses. He cares for Moses. He guided him to this desert land Midian, and Moses would be refined and start learning the process of humility and obscurity in the wilderness here. And so there was a priest a priest in Midian, Raul, I'm totally now just don't even know how to spell that or say that now, but I'm going to go with that. Also known as Jethro, also known as Jethro. Jethro, we're going to find out, is more of a title. It means his excellency, his excellency. So we have this key person in this city, and it wasn't uncommon for people to have two names, but his personal name came and uh, the Midianites uh, came from this land, uh, from this person of Abraham. If you actually read Genesis chapter 25, verse 2, it says uh, quite possibly that Jethro would have known the covenant of God because uh, the Midianites came from the bloodline of Abraham. So he was actually a priest meaning he probably would have known some of the promises of God. He was representing God. He was a leader, key figure, Jethro, his excellency, and he was blessed because he had all these daughters. He had seven daughters, and Moses finds himself helping them because they were being mistreated. It was quite often that women in that day were mistreated. And his father finds out, and he wants to reward Moses. He wants to bless Moses for his kindness to his daughters, and he invites Moses to stay. And in verse 21, it tells us that Moses was content now to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Moses made a huge mistake, but his life wasn't over. His life wasn't over. He was restarting. It was harder. It was in the desert land, but God still blessed him with a wife. And then even so much so with the son, the failure of his pride may have cost him some temporary pain. But we see him in this text still be content to just keep on going. The pain didn't last forever. I think sometimes when we blow it, when we go through hard situations in a certain desert seasons, we think this will last forever. It's tarnished me. God doesn't love me anymore. He doesn't care. And all these lies start flooding in and we get defined by our failure and actually uh, manifest that failure and want to fail more to be punished. But God does not want to punish us. He wants to pay for our punishment and love us and restore us and redeem us and not define us by our mistakes. He knows we're imperfect. He loves us and cares for us. How so? Well, when, we went, when he went up to the well, he started helping those seven women out. And he got them water. He didn't give up on life. Moses had to keep on going. There was something in him. 
But rather than starting to make, uh, rather he started to make some good decisions. And did you notice how he started to serve the women? He was broken. He was lost. He wasn't a somebody anymore. He was obscured. And that's where God told him he can serve. Before his failure, he was acting like, what do the Egyptians say? What are you, a judge? A ruler? A somebody? You're trying to put your position on me, thinking you're somebody? But now he's actually serving women, defending them, delivering them in his humility, getting a little humble pie in life of where he's at and realizing, oh, that's right. The love of God, kindness, this is good. God brought him to Midian, uh, which means judgment. That's what that word means. But he did that to teach him humility. He continued to give Moses the opportunity to follow in God's ways. And this was an opportunity. He didn't have to defend. He didn't have to serve. But he recognized and he realized, well, I'm not done. I'm going to just start wherever I'm at. Even if it's at a well, even if it's a desert land, this is what I can do. He thought I'd be serving a nation and now he's serving the underprivileged. Sometimes we have different expectations than God. He wants to build our character, so he'll give us something solely different. We want to do this, and he'll say, do this. It's an opportunity where we can serve, where we can love, and do the right thing. Because he had done the wrong thing. He had the guilt. He had the weight of that. So rather than continuing his failure, Moses starts to do the right thing. He starts to learn, and he starts to serve. One commentator said, Moses began displaying servant leadership. This act of service got him rewarded with not only bread, but also with marriage. And Moses learned to trust God in whatever season he was in, even the obscured and hard thing. Verse 22 tells us that uh, Zipporah bore a son and Moses called him Gershom, which means I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. I just love how simple all these names are and what they mean and the significance of it. It's like it defines it for you because it highlights these things. Moses settled in a new humble season, trusting God was still with him. And he was content. He had a new life and it was not glorious. But that's where God wanted him to be and he was going to use Moses in that new life. Again, Acts chapter seven, verse 29 tells us Moses not only had this son, but he had another son, two sons. We're gonna read about him and study him in Exodus 18. Verse three, he's mentioned. And Moses gave his other son this name, Elizer. Elizer, which means my God is help. He was one that got sent in a foreign land and he came to be content in this new life and said, now I could walk with God and be with God and I'm just settling content and my God can even help me in this time, in this season. He would have these children to symbolically say, God's not done with me. I'm not being defined by this mistake. Moses knew that God still is still with him and even in the painful season of being broken and God was able to help him to learn from his mistakes. Now, I think this is important and this is why Moses emphasizes in this little last section of this chapter in verses 23 through 25 in the middle of the story just about how God's character and goodness. He's giving you a personal illustration. Remember, Moses is pinning this and then in verse 23 through 25, it says this. Now, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. So no longer someone trying to kill him. And the people of Israel groaned. 
Why? Because of their slavery and cried out for God. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. God knew Moses in this season and his suffering. And God knew the people of Israel in their season. Moses wants us to know that God saw them, he knew them, and he cared for people's pain. He was a God that helps even when we have to go through the consequences, that he walks with us. God didn't forget this great covenant, our promise that he made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 17. Moses began displaying his servant leadership and this act of service got him rewarded. He was starting to see God's character and God's goodness. And he was saying, okay, Lord, if this is your plan for my life, then okay. You see, the nation of Israel was going through a hard desert season as well. They were waiting on God because they were still slaves and they were needing a deliverer, deliverance. They were still suffering, but God remembered them, watched over them in their pain and in their hard times. And God in this season was allowing that pain to happen because he needed to prepare a leader to get Moses to have the right character. And it says Pharaoh died. It took some time. You can write this point down if you're taking notes like all godly people are. God's timing is usually not our timing. That stinks, doesn't it? God's timing is usually not our timing. Again, we're going to go from chapter 2 to chapter 3. And in those one simple verse or two chapters, another 40 years passes. Chapter 2, he's 40. Chapter 3, mm, another 40 years. 40 years in a desert for Moses. 40 years of suffering as slaves for the people of Israel. This is a long and frustrating time. And they... We're waiting in this season. I don't know how long seasons go for you, but don't seasons always take too long when you're going through a, a waiting season, a frustrating season, a painful or a hard season? But it's in those times that God works, and we have to learn that. You know, I think about this time. Consider to be most, the most productive years of your life, ages 40 through 80. You actually start learning some stuff going to be 40 in a few years. It's going to be glorious. Next year. year. It's going to be amazing. By then, I may have learned from some of my stupid mistakes and matured more. But verse one in chapter three tells us that he was now a new humble shepherd, not even owning his own flock. That's where the Lord brought him after 40 years. But taking care of his father-in-law's sheep, this would have been a humbling season, especially as a proud Egyptian. If you know the story in Genesis, you know when Joseph's brothers came in Genesis chapter 43, uh, you know, he was like, hey, hey, don't tell them you're shepherds because they, the Egyptians despise shepherds. They look down upon shepherds. And now this is Egyptian that grew up. Moses is a shepherd is being humbled in this way. It took 40 years in the desert to humble Moses for God to prepare him to lead. Now, I, I, I'm sure don't want to wait that long to learn from my mistakes. And I'm sure you don't either. But God knows what we need. God knows, knows exactly what 
he needs to transform us and to prepare us to give him glory. And we need to not despise the hard seasons or the desert seasons because it says that God knew them in this season. God knows you. He cares for you. Again, I have this quote. Chuck Swindoll said this, when it comes to walking with God, there is no such thing as instant maturity. When it comes to walking with God, man, you just, it takes time. You gotta obey, you gotta learn, you gotta walk with God. You don't get there fast. Most times we have to wait on God in his perfect timing and this is frustrating and he allows pain, he allows suffering. But let me remind you and let me remind myself that those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings of eagles. They shall run and not grow weary and they shall walk and not faint. There is a strength on waiting on the Lord and his perfect timing. It's frustrating. It's serious. The people needed to be delivered, but God had a timing. And you may say, well, why now? Why, why, why after 40 years? Because it was the perfect time. It was a part of God's plan. Pharaoh had died. Moses had matured. People were strengthened and ready. And so in this season now, after this season, Moses is now going to get a call or get direction from the Lord about this call that he had dreamed about. But he didn't have the character to fulfill that dream yet. Now God humbled him. He has some character. And now he's going to meet Moses in a special way. Read with me verses 1 through 12. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. Remember that title. Jethro rose the same. The priest of of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb. That's actually the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. Or Sinai. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. I'm, I'm reading the same story you are, right? Okay, this is in the Bible. Moses looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And so Moses said to himself, I will turn aside and see this great sight. Well, duh, there's bush, it's burning, but it's not consuming. It's sort of odd and weird. God has his attention. He says, why the bush is not burned? Now, when God saw that he turned aside, he got his Moses' attention. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jezebites. This is this where you just rhyme a whole bunch of ites. These are tribes and lands. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, 
I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now here's Moses' response in his humility. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And the Lord responded and said to him, but I will be with you. This shall be the sign for you that I have sent to you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And we know that God would bring him back and meet with Moses on that mountain and receive the law for the nation. Now again, this is an incredible story that happens in Exodus. We really, literally read about a burning bush that isn't consumed and it grabs Moses' attention. And then God starts speaking to Moses in what's known as a uh, theophany. Is that right? Is that word? Theophany. Theophany. Uh, it's an appearing of God in a manifestation, specifically through the person of Jesus in the Old Testament. These stories can seem so distant, so miraculous, so far off, and so weird at times, can't they? Because you're like, where's my burning bush? Never heard that. Ain't going to get that calling. But in this text, it's actually doing something important for us that we can relate to today. It's revealing the character in the heart of God of how he redeems. He's a God that's about to appoint a murderer to lead his people and be used by him. That's who Moses is. He, he, he's in a place where he doesn't even have property. He's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. He's a nobody in the world's eyes. He's blown it. Moses knows that. He's content just to be alive. And God is purposely going after this imperfect, broken person who he doesn't need. But in his good, loving character, and nature, he wants to not only redeem Moses and restore him, but he wants to redeem Israel through Moses' life as this individual. And so here's my last point as we sort of look at this story. God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. When you think about this incredible, miraculous calling, you may not have a miraculous calling like this that manifests like this but you have a miraculous calling that should manifest like this. One that brings God's glory. One that God calls to be used by him to bring him glory. Now, as you get into the burning bush story, it's more realistic, more relatable when you think about who Moses was and how God was going to use him as an imperfect person because we can all relate. We're all imperfect. We don't have it all together, but it doesn't stop God from loving us from caring for us, pursuing us, calling us, or using us and redeeming us. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, but when the fullness of time had come, because there's a perfect timing in God's will, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And just as Jesus had, has appeared and has come to us for our redemption, he is now appearing to Moses to redeem him. You see, verse two says this sort of title, the angel of the Lord appeared. It appeared in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. 
The angel of the Lord often shows up in the New Test or the Old Testament. Uh, the angel of the Lord would appear in some stories that Moses knew about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He appeared, uh, uh, the angel of the Lord in Genesis chapter 22 appeared to Abraham and Isaac. In Genesis chapter 31, he appeared to Jacob, this angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord would continue to appear throughout the Old Testament as we study. We'd see him uh, commission Gideon to fight and deliver the Israelites. To Samson's mother, the angel of the Lord would appear to announce that Samson uh, would be born. He then appeared to Samson himself to empower him. He, he appeared to the great Elijah to strengthen him. He appeared to this guy named Gad to give a message for David and even to the great prophet Zechariah to reveal the future of Israel. This angel of the Lord is more or less a title or is a name or a title rather than a description. You see, because angel simply means messenger or representative. And some angels, they actually have names in the Bible. Angels are real and some don't. But the angel of the Lord, it appears to be a theophany. I always get that wrong because there's theophany. There's also Christophany, Christophany. But I always say Christophany. See, I get it all wrong. Theophany. It's important to understand this because what we see here is Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. Uh, one commentator said this, the best answer seems to be that the angel of the Lord is God himself appearing to human beings in a cloaked form rather than his essential glory. Remember that this bush, this fiery thing in the bush didn't consume the bush, so it got Moses' attention so that way he could speak. But this angel of the Lord was not just an angel, it was Jesus himself. Remember, Jesus would be questioned. Jesus said, hey, before uh, there was the great I am, I was there. I knew Moses. God met Moses in this moment in a special way and on his level. If you know that region, there's tons of bushes like this. This is not a special bush with some incredible consumer. This is God meeting Moses in his everyday life. It's the middle of the desert. There are thousands of bushes and God does something special, manifest himself in a way so that Moses would understand. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? How God meets us in our everyday life, how God in his glory became man and came into our world to reveal himself. Hebrews 1 says God revealed himself through Jesus to speak to us in a pretty simple way so we would know who God is. Now, why do I say this is God? Because it clearly says it's the angel of the Lord. This is a title. However, if you look at verse four, God starts revealing himself to Moses and redeeming, wants to redeem him and heal him by his presence. And in verse four, it says, God called him out of the bush. There was an angel of the Lord in the bush, but then God called him out of the bush. Then in verse six, it says, I am God, your father. The text says that Moses was so afraid he didn't want to look at the bush where God was at. This is God revealing himself. So much he told Moses, hey, you're walking now on holy ground. As the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses, it shows the heart of God to appear to us, man, humanity, in a personal way. 
that may be strange, like Jesus coming to us, born of a virgin, fully God and fully man. What a weird thing to become your creation. Why did he do that? Just so he can seek and save the lost, so he can reveal truth and light and snatch us from darkness into this light. And he's doing this type of redemption and restoration to Moses as well. He's doing something miraculous and totally unusual, but it's to minister to this personal, imperfect person. And then God goes on to reveal his great plan for Moses in verse 7 through 10. God says that he has seen and heard the cries and suffering of his people. And God tells Moses that he himself would deliver the Israelites But he wants to use Moses to be a part of this amazing plan and purpose. But in verse 11, we really read the humility nature and the lesson that Moses learned because now he's not saying, that's right, I've been waiting. Who am I? I've been waiting, I've been doing all this stuff. Of course, I'm a prince, I'm a leader, I'm a ruler. This is me, of course you're choosing me. He says to the Lord, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses' posture was no longer a prideful state and thinking too highly of himself. He realized he was just a man. He wasn't God. He wasn't a great ruler. He wasn't king. He was meeting a king. He was seeing something miraculous. He was being humbled even by God's presence right then and there. And he recognized he wasn't mighty. But God in his goodness answers Moses in verse 12 with saying he will be with Moses. That's right. This is where Moses would find his strength, God's presence. This is where you and I find our strength in God's presence. God makes a promise that Moses could cling to in the middle and the midst of his leadership, that I shall bring you back to this mountain, Mount Horeb, or also known as Mount Sinai. Now, next week, we're going to study Pastor Robin is going to bring the word and we'll bring and look at how Moses sort of struggles with accepting this calling. And he wrestles with God about his calling and and God reassures him of who he is. He's the great I am. He's Jehovah, he's Yahweh. But as we close this section, let us be reminded that God calls people like me and you to his presence to fulfill his purpose. He calls imperfect people like me and you. I love how God called Moses personally. In this text, he says, Moses, Moses. Remember, that was a name that was sort of like an Egyptian name, actually, if you study history, that the Pharaoh's daughter gave to him, put that identity on him, and God even knew that. And he calls Moses by name, Moses, Moses. That's right, God knows us by name, doesn't he? He cares about us. Even when people put uh, words that are meant to hurt, God will actually bring those things and redeem and restore. And he loves us and he calls us out of that mess, out of those lies, out of that false identity. And he says, this is what I'm going to do. Notice how God does not give advice here. This is why it's gonna be so funny next week that Moses is actually wrestling and talking with God. When we talk about calling, God speaks and the only thing that you can do is either obey or disobey. God says, this is what's gonna happen. You in or you out. There's no advice. God is just making known his ways and his plans. He's declaring truth as a truth bearer. And we must either obey or disobey. And so we're imperfect people that God declares truth to. 
And we must obey or disobey. We must receive by faith or disbelieve and not walk in the plans and purposes of God. And it's okay to wrestle and it's okay to doubt. And God says, I'm going to meet you right where you're at. But your strength will not be in your own reasoning or your argument. It will be in me, my presence. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we obeying or disobeying God's word? The things he has clearly spoken over our lives. Because when it comes to our calling, God loves us. He's with us. He wants to use us. I'll close with this. Chuck Swindoll said this, in God's calling, he has a plan, but he never expects you to carry out that plan. He's going to pull it off. He simply wants you to be an instrument of action. And so we, learning this story, knowing how God speaks to people in unusual ways, should understand that as God speaks to us through his word in the person of Jesus, however that appears, could be through a worship song, prayer time, through Scripture, through gatherings, through just our drive in silence and solitude, when God appears and speaks to us, know that he also gives us strength to say yes to his plans and his purposes to live out our lives. And we're gonna see that play out as we continue to study Moses and how God actually gives strength, not only to him to do the task, but for us to do the task by his grace. So let's pray and let's respond. Jesus, we thank you so much that we can study from your word Lord, I just pray, God, that you would speak to us a personal calling on all of our lives. God, as you want us to respond to your grace, and you say as we gather to remember your grace, Lord, we need your mercy. We need to be a people that are constantly repenting because we blow it and we're imperfect. But I thank you, God, as we learn today, you forgive sin, you redeem, you restore, you come and meet us and love us despite our imperfections, our failures. Lord, we can just come to you and repent. And so we want to come to you and take time to sing, to praise, to, to repent, to bless your name, and just to respond. And I pray as we worship you and sing and take communion and just respond, Lord, that you would speak, that you would remind us by the power of the Holy Spirit, just your word, or even give a fresh word, a revelation, a vision, things that can encourage us even now to follow after you, Lord. You're a good God. You're a kind God. You're a loving God. Help us to continue to see that as we study from your word. Thank you for blessing this time as we gather together from your word. May we respond now and wait upon you, Lord. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.